Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Angular Story. Uh, this week, we're here with Mike Hardington from Ionic. You want to say Ooh. hi, Mike? Hello. How's it going? It's going well. So you've been with Ionic for a while. You've also been on Adventures in Angular and JavaScript Jabber, I think. And you spoke yep. at yep. Angular Remote Conf. Yep, twice. Uh, nice. Yeah, I've been uh, been around for quite a bit. A little low-key. Right. So you were on episode 109 of Adventures in Angular. You were talking about Ionic 2. You, we also had Justin Willis on that one. Yep. Yep. We were talking about uh, all the fun stuff coming up in Ionic 2 and the progressive web app angle that uh, that seems to be taking over every other framework these days as well. Yep. And you were also on episode 64 and we had Matt Kramer on with you that time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I've been around. Yeah, good things. Um, well, I'm just going to jump in with these questions. I sent them to you beforehand, and uh, we'll kind of see where they go. I do tend to stop and ask uh, deeper delving questions to find out more about uh, your background and, and to kind of get these stories, because the stories behind a lot of these uh, tools like Ionic or the stories behind how people came to them and got involved with them um, you know, your story is, is really what's interesting here to me. So, um, yeah, let's, let's get started. My first question is, how did you get started programming? Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. My first question is, how did you get started programming? So I got started programming kind of out of necessity. Uh, I did like a little bit way way back in the day uh, in like high school, kind of taking like intro to computer science where we we're doing uh, visual basic. And that was like my first dive into it. And then I didn't touch it at all, uh, all through college. Uh, and I actually was a designer. So going through designing uh, like graphic design courses and doing all that. And then we had our last semester course on web and web design. And that was kind of our my first dive back into like web technology and programming again and figuring out how can I create this layout which looks great inside of like Photoshop and then utilize CSS and how can I add this interact you know make a like a new alert or like style all these different things and uh, make stuff actually happen that I knew was kind of in my head but I didn't really know how to do on the web so I started going off from there fell in love with Flash, actually, uh, before JavaScript. Oh, just kidding. Sorry. uh, It It was a cool technology. It really was. Say what you want. Flash was was awesome considering that these are tools that I, like, knew, like, a timeline. I knew how to do animation, and I knew how to do all this. And with a little bit of ActionScript, I could, like, make something uh, that was really interactive. And it was just so much fun. Um. 
got out of school and was doing uh, marketing and design at um, at a company. And one of the requirements is to do some like interactive product demos and uh, create resources for sales teams and you know so that they can touch ba- uh, touch back with you know home base so to speak. And after a while, like I dove into it and I was like, well, I know some of this stuff. I'm pretty sure I could do it. And then they, then they all like, don't, Hey, great news. We got iPads for, for everybody. It's like flash doesn't run on an iPad. So I like learn, relearned, uh, JavaScript. Um, this was like 2010, uh, relearned JavaScript and just kind of, been a rat down the rabbit hole since then interesting so you said you did a little bit in high school but mostly it was after you had done some design and other related work um later on so what kind of led you back to programming was it just oh well i want to make these designs interactive or was you know was was there some other path into that Kind of wanting to do things for myself, like being a being hired originally to be a designer um, who was working with developers. It was kind of this, you know, here's something that I think would look great. You know, it, it feels like it'd be an intuitive design. And it's like, uh, I really don't want to do that. It's going to take, you know, take forever. And then having a boss who was also very much like a visual person, he couldn't really if you showed him something on like a computer and he'd look at it and you're just like well how, how is this going to like you know work and i didn't have sketch at the time so i didn't have like all these new these newer uh ui uh mock-up tools so i would just go back and like code it all up uh recode like all the interactions how like how would like a form submission process work how would like a search bar ui work and just showing that. So it was kind of a mix between wanting to make sure my boss was happy and I didn't get yelled at and trying to prove to like the devs like, no, I can do this. That makes sense. Um, I have I have kind of a similar experience, except I came up through tech support mm-hmm. and it was the same kind of thing. Right. It was showing the devs that I had skills and solving a problem. And, and it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's, it's hey, you know, I know what this should be, and I'm going to go build it. And just kind of, you know, prove you wrong, and I'm going to yep. sit there and just keep that little, you know, chip in my shoulder. And it's like, I'm going to remember this when I prove you guys wrong. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I distinctly remember at one point I went to my boss and I said, I want to be a programmer. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, those guys on that team will not let you be on their team. You're not good enough. And so, yeah. So I, uh, a few months later, I had a programming job at a different company. <laughs> when uh, the boss says, when the boss and coworkers say no, just, just jump ship and go somewhere that, else. That's right. It's surprising how many people move up in their career that way, though. Or maybe not so surprising because people think of you as the, the way that you are when you come in. I'm curious, mm-hmm. with your background as a designer, how, how do you feel that that's influenced your career as a programmer? I feel like it's influenced quite a bit. Um, of course, like nowadays, I'm, I'm, I do a lot more in just like uh, helping other devs with their, uh, with their 
you know, issues or trying to come up with better solutions. Um, I kind of approached everything from like, or at least try to approach everything from like a design perspective as kind of cliche as that sounds. It makes sense because the main goal in like in design is when you actually finish designing something and, you know, everything kind of is out there. It shouldn't look like there's been actual work done. It kind of feels like, well, well, duh, this is the only way that it would have been done or it should have been done. Um, so I kind of go at it with that approach where it's like, how can you do as little design as possible or little as work as possible to make it seem like a natural fit? Right. You don't want people to look at your interface or look at even your APIs or whatever you're working with and, and go, now, how do I do this? Or why does this feel unnatural? You just want it to feel like a natural outgrowth of how you solve the problem. Right. You're even uh, like going back to the API. Like, I don't want to have to think about how to use an API. I just like, well, yeah, of course, this is how the this is how the API just should have been done. Like from from day one, this is like how everything should be should be have been planned, worked out. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, the next question is, is how did you get into Angular? So I got into Angular um, out of necessity. I was, this is at that previous job working for salespeople and trying to help them. I had built a bunch of uh, web apps um, using Backbone, jQuery, uh, and was kind of making my own pseudo framework out of that. It was just not uh, pleased with it. It was very slow and it was a lot of duplicate effort. And I spent more time kind of working on that and then adding features or working on the actual app. Um, and it was around this time uh, where I found Angular, probably around the beginning of 2012. Uh, and I was like, this looks interesting. Um, I kind of looked at it a little bit more on and off over like the summer and uh, when I found, actually, funny enough, Ionic, um, and saw that they were based off of Angular, I was like, okay, well, I should probably give this like a legitimate uh, go and you know, learn this thing and actually rewrite my entire uh, apps that have been all the apps that I've been doing uh, in Angular, and that and it's what I did. Very cool. So you you essentially. Uh, you picked it up. It's funny because everything I'm like, how did you get into how did you get into programming? Well, it was out of necessity, which I think is so fun. Um, it's really everything like I've had to do or had to learn is it's because I needed to. I, I I hate learning or I hate having to read or like study something. But like as soon as I figure out like okay, I needed to know this for like for my job or for like something else, it's like all right, guess it's time to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and again, I mean, when I got into programming, mine was Rails, and I learned Rails because it was the way that the company solved web applications. And so I, I needed something that my tech support team could use, and so that's what I did. And mm -hmm. it's it's there are so many people that I know that get into code because they had some business idea or some need inside the company they were working for or some other necessity one way or the other for an organization that they were trying to serve. And they either couldn't afford somebody to come in and do it or they 
just were weren't interested in having somebody else have, solve that problem or they'd had issues getting it solved properly. And right. so they go out and of necessity learn how to program and then they figure out, you know what, this programming thing is actually a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it happened to be at a great time too because they were switching off from like a really old, old fusion site to like CMS. So all like big architecture and like all the backend and all the, like the really hard problems were already figured out. And I could just come in and it's like, how do I make this this search bar animate? Ooh, this is fun. And just, you know, kind of come at it as like, this is fun. I don't have to figure out all the hard stuff yet. Yep, absolutely. So I know you've been working on Ionic for quite a long time now. Um, do you have any other projects before we start talking about Ionic that you've been a part of that, that you want to tell us about that you've contributed to open source or that people might have heard of? Uh, so for a time, I was helping out uh, with a project called Angular Formly. Um, oh. Kent C. Dodds. Yep. Kent's a local guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, Kent's awesome. Uh, he had uh, contacted contacted a few people saying, hey, I'm looking to do some other, uh, what they call templates for Formly. Um for different like UI libraries. Like there was one for materialize. There was one for bootstrap. Um, there was some for, uh, some other component, uh, libraries out there too. It's like, yeah, I wanted to do some for some mobile stuff. And I was still, I don't think I was working at Ionic yet. And I was like, well, I've been messing around with it. And yeah, I'd like to help out. And even to this day, like I, it's a couple of years later now, I still get emails about it. And it's like, I, you know, I'm sorry. I don't have much time, but I'll, Submit a fix here and there, but yeah, if you used Formly before and used it with Ionic, I wrote those templates. Super cool. So, um, one of the things about these, you know, the stories and how you got into it that I want to dig into a little bit is that people they come into a community and they they feel like, oh, I'm new, I couldn't possibly contribute to a project like Angular Formly or something else, or they don't feel qualified to get involved um, at, at a certain level uh, with a community. So I'm curious, you know, um, how, how did you become in a pro involved in a project like Formly uh, from the standpoint of you deciding, I can contribute to this and I want to contribute to this? Like, how do you make that decision? It was really tough um, because I still carry around that that strong imposter syndrome where it's like uh, I probably shouldn't contribute to this because I'm not like a real programmer or like I really I don't know what what they're doing like for real like I couldn't I, I feel like I couldn't contribute like probably a few years ago I couldn't contribute to Angular because I I just didn't know enough or I just I'd probably get laughed away or something. Um, but like after like taking some time, like looking at the stuff I write, it's like, no, I'm pretty damn good. Uh, I, I know enough where I can get myself into trouble and I know how to get out of trouble. So I feel like that's where most people, like, as soon as you get to that point where you feel like something you're doing is worthwhile to other people, like even in a sense of like a stack overflow post, like go out there, find like a library or like something on, uh, on GitHub and like, make that PR because you're just going to get better for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is um, I'm pretty well convinced that we we all have that imposter syndrome, right? We're we're all imposters. I know the things that I'm not good at, and I know the things that I tend to be better at. And sometimes I just don't give myself enough credit. And a lot of people just get hung up on the, oh, I could never contribute to a project like that. Where in reality, I know that Kent now does mostly React stuff, and I don't know if he even maintains Formly anymore. And so somebody else has probably taken that over, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a major uh, Angular veteran to do that work. Right. It can be like someone who's still new, still learning a few things here and there, but just someone who has like that that drive or like, you know, desire to kind of like give back or work on something. As soon as you have like the, I'm going to work on this, damn it. And I'm going to, you know, give it my all. Um, That's all it takes. Yep, absolutely. And the other thing is, is that even if you don't feel like you can contribute code, um, way back a long, long time ago, I did a podcast called the Teach Me to Code podcast. And uh, I interviewed Dave Hubert, Hoover, who wrote Apprenticeship Patterns. It's a Mm -hmm. book about, you know, finding a mentor. And uh, he he talks about the concept of sweeping the dojo. And so you you go into the dojo, right? And the guys who get all the glory are the ones who are teaching the the karate classes. But the reality is, is that somebody has to come in and sweep the dojo. And if you're in there and around there and involved there, eventually you'll start picking up some of the ninja moves that these advanced people have that allow them to contribute to the community. And so if you want to go in and um, screen out pull requests or um, answer questions as they come in on GitHub issues or write documentation, I mean, all of these things are things that the project maintainer either doesn't want to do or may not have time to do all of. And if you can go in and you can clear some of that up, just answer some of the basic questions, handle some of those basic things, you know, you don't feel like you have the ninja moves to contribute code, but you can still contribute in other ways that are meaningful to the project. Like you said, a documentation, like that's probably one of the best places. Like it's such like a boring part of, uh, of like, you know, coding and like, releasing stuff sure it may not be the thing that gets you like all the github fame or twitter fame but it's like the most important part and like even now like as someone who works on open source like anytime someone submits a pr and it's like to improve documentation i've got i have like a habit of putting that as like my priority and just like looking at that reviewing it and like you are my new best friend for the next like five minutes until I accept this PR. Thank you so much. I just words cannot express how happy I am that you made this PR for me. It it really is true. And the other thing that's interesting about that is that um, if you're asking questions just to use the library versus asking questions so you can take work off of the maintainer's plate by helping with the documentation, man, they are delighted to answer your questions and they know who you are. So you get all of the the cred by saying, hey, go talk to Mike because I helped him out with his open source project. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Ionic. How, how did you actually come to be involved in Ionic? It sounds like you haven't been there from the beginning. So so where, where do you come in on the Ionic story? So Ionic was probably, I had a, I got to pull back a few years, uh, was kind of released, quote unquote, 
uh, in its earliest form, like around November 2013. Um, and I started using it to rewrite some mobile apps um, that were jQuery mobile um, in uh, December 2013. So kind of as soon as it was out there, I wanted to use it. And then I just started hanging around on their on their Ionic forum. Uh, and this was back when there was maybe a thousand people using it, maybe even less. Uh, and the daily active users were on the forum were it was kind of, you know, you saw repeat faces and you kind of got to know know the people on there. Uh, and it kind of got to the point where, you know, most of the work that I had been doing at my day job was starting to kind of you know, the projects uh, sprints were, were starting to run down and we were taking like a, like an internal uh, break. And I had just, would just hang out on the forum. And um, after a while, I think I even reached out, I reached out to them first and was like, Hey, don't know if you guys know who I am or, um, you know, remember me. I did submit a few PRs and everything. Uh, didn't know if you guys were looking for like anyone to officially help out on the forum. So, I was very forward about it. I was like, please hire me. I would really like to work for you guys. You're all really nice and very cool. Uh, so yeah, I joined as like a, uh, like part-time um, in March. And then by July, they hired me full-time. So I had like quit my other job and was like riding, riding Ionic strong ever since. That's awesome. I'm sure there are some uh, lessons that we could pull out of that too. Um, how long had you been programming at that point? Uh, in honest, probably, probably three, two and a half years, not entirely long, long um, and not enough as someone who would probably have gone to like, not enough to know as much as the person who would have, if they, uh, would have known if they had gone to like a CS program. So I was still very much like, I, I don't have a traditional programming background. I don't have a degree. Uh, I only know, un, like I said, enough to get me into trouble and to get me, get myself out. Um, I've had a few mentors at my past job who've given me a few more skills, but I wasn't really a programming like, you know, ninja or that they, uh, as the, uh, recruiters like to say. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's interesting there too. I mean, you got involved, you um, demonstrated a certain level of passion for the project. And I'll tell you, um, if I'm hiring people, I'm hiring for attitude over aptitude any day of the week. And yeah, so, if you if you come at it with like a good good attitude and like you're you're really just excited about something hard to, to say no to that yeah well i can teach you the rest right i can teach you the ninja moves for programming you know mm -hmm. if we keep using that analogy but uh you know i can teach you to do the things that you have to do in order to get the job done but i can't teach you to be the kind of person that i want to work with can't teach you a person to wake up in the morning and it's like yes i'm excited about this yep exactly so so that makes sense so um, over the last few years, um, have you been out there mostly evangelizing Ionic or, you know, how much do you contribute to it? How much, do, in what ways do you contribute to it? So it's been like jack of all trades kind of stuff now. Like 
I do talk, I do present uh, on Ionic. I do a lot of uh, help with the community. I do actually, you know, ship commits to the actual framework, though very, uh, very small features, um, nothing crazy. Uh, so I'm kind of all over the place in the framework and on, in the company in general. So it's hard to really pinpoint what I actually do. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But, you know, and, and it's a relatively small company too. So, you know, there's going to be some level of, you know, we need the problem solved and who who's in closest proximity so that I can reach and tap and say, do it. Um, but yeah, you know, I've seen you speak at a lot of different venues about Ionic and um, including some of the conferences that I've put on. And it's been mm-hmm. really interesting just to see how the framework has evolved and things like that. Um, I'm curious, and this is the kind of the fourth question that I ask, and that is, what are you working on now? So right now we're working on wrapping up Ionic 2, um, kind of working with the framework development team, like making sure the docs are in good shape, making sure that there are no major issues with the framework and that everything is as usable as it can be. Um, and then, you know, working on like a few side projects I have, like I do a lot of stuff in uh, uh, TypeScript tooling. So I have like my own plugin for um, for Vim, my main editor. Uh, and I also have like my own custom theme for it as well that uh, takes up a lot of time on just maintaining and working on. And then when I have free time, like on the weekend, I do like non-programming stuff like woodworking. That that's really cool. So you have, um, uh, so Ionic two, from what I understood, was mostly just a port over to Angular two from Angular one. Is there more to it than that? Yes, yes and no. Um, it's still keeping in the same spirit that Ionic one was ha- had, where it was like similar component uh, structure, similar um, kind of elements that you would use. Uh, but the framework itself has been completely rewritten, and a lot of the uh, the limitations that we that we had in design flaws that uh, or design limitations that we had, you know, it was kind of a chance to like rethink how do we how do we redo Ionic uh, now that it's been like out for two years and we've had all this time to like learn and figure out what people are trying to do and what people want to do. That makes sense. And then um, with your Vim plugin, so is that centered around Ionic? Not so much. Uh, like, again, as everything kind of seems to happen in my life, it was out of necessity. Uh, I use Vim and I had used many other editors uh, and IDs and Vim was the only one that really kind of stuck with me and wasn't slow or sluggish. And as soon as people were like announcing TypeScript in Angular 2, I was like, what's well, this TypeScript stuff? I really got to use it. And so I ended up building um, my own like auto-completion plugin for TypeScript for Vim. And I was just been going back and like kind of making it on par with like VS Code where I can get auto-completion, go to definition, uh, doc- inline like kind of documentation on like since there's like no mouse hover, like as soon as like your cursor just sits on the word or symbol for like a certain amount of time, it'll just display the information about it. So out of necessity, I wanted that and I just wrote it. 
and there's an excuse to learn Python. Ah, uh, gotcha. It's all about the snake, dang it. <laughs> that that was terrible. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sick, so that's my excuse, right, for a terrible dad pun. Yeah, Python's <sighs> an interesting language and and kind of fun. Um, w- were there any lessons that you picked up out of that that have influenced your code um, outside of building a Vim plugin? Always be willing to learn and accept other people's help. Uh, way early on in the project, um, I was a bit like over in over my head. Uh, and a few people had kind of like, you know, said, hey, do you want any help? And I was kind of hesitant at first because I didn't want them to like come in and, you know, judge my code. And it wasn't it wasn't until like, you know, a few comments on GitHub later. And I just realized, you know what, they they're they know about as much as I do about this at the moment. And this could be like not only a great opportunity for me to learn, maybe this is like their, you know, their big thing to like jump them into like programming or like into some other GitHub project. Who knows? Like I didn't want to like say limit them and say, no, you can't help out on this and then kind of deter them from helping out on any open source. So I was like, okay, other people can come in and I started adopting, um, I think, what is it called? Like, open open source where anyone who ships like a meaningful contribution to it, they automatically get commit uh, access to the repo. So there's like five other people who are in charge of it. So I can just kind of sit back and relax. Gotcha. Hey everybody, this is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS remote comp. Uh, we just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. You can also find it by going to devchat.tv slash conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there. Gotcha. Um, so the last thing that we do on this show, and I kind of have to get to because I have a call in about five minutes, is uh, picks. Mm-hmm. So you've been on the show. You know what picks are. Um, what are the things you want to shout out about that you've enjoyed over the last little while? Uh, so shout out to Chuck from the Angular team for his awesome uh, language service plugin that uh, just kind of got released uh, a few days ago. I've been following it like crazy and have already tested it out in VS Code and it is pretty awesome. Uh, Another thing I want to shout out is uh, Westworld. If you haven't watched it, watch it. It is so good. Uh, I I can't wait to see what happens in season two. Okay, so that's ridiculous. Um, Both because the the language plugin that you talked about... um, it, it got a little bit of airtime on the on Adventures in Angular that we recorded on Tuesday. Uh, this will come out a few weeks afterward. And Westworld has been picked on about half of the MyJS and My Angular stories that I've done so far. It's such a good show. I you know it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of it, but I, I'm going to have to go check it out. So it's um, Anthony Hopkins. You can't say no. <laughs> that's right. Um, all right, I've got a few things that I'm going to shout out about. Uh, the first one 
is a tool that I've been using. Um, I'm using it more and more to do contact automation and things like that. It's called Active Campaign. Um, for a long time, I've been using Drip for my email list management stuff. But lately, I've just gotten into this. Um, I actually have been using it to set up automation steps for um, my hiring process because I'm hiring an executive assistant right now. Um, so people submit a job uh, or they submit their resume and it immediately tells them to schedule a phone screen. Um, and then um, I just I talk to them. I've been doing those phone screenings all day today. Um, and I'll be doing a bunch tomorrow, probably a couple of in-depth interviews as well, because when they pass the phone screen, I just add them to the list that says pass the phone screen. And then it says, hey, I need you to take a disk profile assessment. And then I need you to schedule an interview. And I've also been lucky. So I guess my second pick is um, there's a local classified ads slash job board out there called KSL Classifieds. KSL is the local um, NBC affiliate um, and SL and KSL is Salt Lake. So uh, they have a classified ads and a job board. And I would have to say that probably 75% of my job applicants have come from there. And so it's been really nice to actually talk to people and then be able to do the interviews in person. Um, if they're not in Salt Lake, it's not a big deal. Um, you know, I just talked to them over Google Hangouts or Skype where we can kind of get face to face. Um, but yeah, having somebody local that I can actually go and sit across the table from and get a good read on has been really cool. Um, and then the, the last thing that I have that I'll, I'm going to pick is a, the book that I've been following the process out of. It's called Who? Um, and it, it outlines, you know, the phone screening and the in-depth interview and um, just the entire process for doing that. So um, I've been getting a lot of ideas out of that and asking a lot of those questions. It also leads you to do some sort of uh, major in-depth questioning, but uh, that's all part of the process. And by the time I'm done, I'm pretty sure I will have narrowed the field to a couple of highly qualified people. So anyway, um, interesting things these days. Um, but yeah, uh, just to wrap up, if people want to follow you on Twitter or GitHub or just check out what you're doing, is there a blog or Twitter link that you can share with us that people can use to check you out? Uh, if you just search, uh, M Hardington, uh, first initial last name, I'm basically everywhere, uh, under that, under that name. So pretty easy to find. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for coming. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll wrap this one up um, and look forward to the next one. Yes. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.